It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start off today's show like we start off every show, three big things. All right, now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that one of the things that gets me on my soapbox is the rash of car thefts that has been plaguing the area. Now, these are car thefts which are conducted sometimes by organized criminal and organized criminal activity like all the break-ins at dealerships that go on but it's also just you know you run of the mill this is the thing if you are around this area apparently it is it's the latest thing to steal cars in many cases you then take them on you drive them at high rates of speed you blow through red lights you kill people and what has happened in general is especially when it comes to juveniles, and we've talked about this many times, there are really no consequences. It's one of the ongoing frustrations. If you talk to victims of these crimes, whether it's people at automobile dealerships that are being busted into or just average citizens and the average police officer, they will tell you that our juvenile justice system is an absolute joke. To describe it as catch and release is to insult catch and release. The idea, I was talking to somebody the other day who had their car stolen, and they were telling me that, um, that actually the, the, the kid who did it, and I said kid, it was like a 15 or 16-year-old, the, the police said, oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah we, 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 we know who this guy is. He just stole one a week and a half ago down the street. We caught him, turned him over to the court system. They just released him, and now he's out stealing cars again. And it's why I believe that you, you need we need to realize that car theft is a big deal. Reckless driving is a big deal. And yes, I understand some people think, oh, this is just this evil conservative guy. But I I think car theft, if you are a juvenile, there needs to be some sort of mandatory penalty, whether it's in the juvenile courts or whether it's in the adult courts. Yeah, I think you steal a car 30 days in detention, 60 days in detention. You steal multiple cars. Maybe you start needing to be looked at being waived into adult court. This is a big deal. But it doesn't just happen in the city of Milwaukee. All right, here is the story, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday. What happened was that um, about 2 o'clock in the morning, out in Maguanago, um, police found a mangled Cadillac near the intersection of Holtz Parkway and County Highway ES, just around 2 a.m. Okay, so this is Sunday night, Monday morning. It would be, I guess, I don't think they had school off for Columbus Day, but it's Sunday night, Monday morning. It is, I presume, a school day. Now, the police find this mangled Cadillac after getting a report that there had been a suspicious vehicle in a neighboring community that had been involved with egging houses in the area, and the Cadillac matched the description. So, Again, putting two and two together, you've got these kids that are out, middle of the night, they are egging houses in this car. What happened was, so the police find this vehicle, it, it's mangled, apparently it was driven in at a high rate of speed, it was driven into a utility pole. Right? What the police find in the front seat of the car, front passenger seats, there's a 14-year-old girl who is severely injured seriously injured but should be okay but it they say ultimately so that's the good news but they have to i mean they have to work on extracting her so this is car crashes high rate of speed into this utility pole the driver runs off leaving the 14 year old passenger to die now she's not going to die but he ran off leaving her to die all right the police at first looking at the scope of this crash and this wreck 
they're afraid that the, the driver might be injured, you know, might have wandered off and might be dying himself. So, I mean, they start the, this manhunt for the, the person. Now, by the way, they also, once they've got the car, they run the license plates. It turns out that it's, uh, so they call the registered owners, who happen to be, as it turns out, the parents of this 15-year-old, and they say they received a call from their son who said he was scared and he ran. So this 15-year-old punk who has taken the parents' car out driving around, egging homes on a joyride, smashes up the car, leaves the passenger for dead, and runs off. Uh, believing the boy was injured, authorities searched for the boy for three hours before realizing he was actively working not to be found. The little punk is hiding from the police, again, having left the 14-year-old girl to die. Um, according to the police, he was chatting with people online or on social media. It appears he wasn't hurt. He was just evading us. All right. Ultimately, um they end up catching him more than three miles away from the crash site. All right, now here's the dazzling details reported by Channel 12. The boy wasn't arrested. He was, in fact, turned over to his parents. The police say it sounded like the boy took his parents' vehicle out for an overnight joyride. Uh, charges may be pending. This is what the police say. Well, obviously, we'll be looking at whether he stole his parents' vehicle. Okay, well, let me just say this. I doubt mom and dad gave the little punk permission to take the car, he's 15 years old, and go out egg homes and drive around at a high rate of speed. I I mean, I'm going to give mom and dad some credit. Uh, They say charges could include operating without owner's consent, endangering safety by reckless driving, something along those lines, operating without a license, those kind of things. How about hit and run? How about leaving the scene of an accident? How about leaving your 14-year-old accomplice for dead? But they turn the kid over, back over to mom and dad. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why isn't this kid in custody? I mean, seriously. Now, I understand it's not the city of Milwaukee. I get it that this is McGuanago. But you take your parents' car in the middle of the night. You drive it into a utility pole. You leave your passenger in the car for dead. You actively try to evade the police for several hours, and they turn him over back to mom and dad? Really? Why is this kid not in a juvenile detention facility? This, in my opinion, is part of this ongoing problem that we have with juveniles. And it doesn't just happen in McGuanago. But, I mean, seriously, you catch this kid at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, to me, it's you take him to jail, you hold him, you put him in whatever juvenile detention facility you have, and then you let this all sort out instead of, oh, well, here, he's fine. He's been avoiding us for a few hours. Now we found him. Here, take him home, give him milk and cookies, and make sure he has a clean, nice place to sleep. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The police say, well, charges are pending. Well, that's a good thing. That, that's good. I'm glad the charges are pending. But why was a kid under these circumstances not arrested? Why isn't he in custody making an appearance before a court official? 414-799-1620. Until we start treating juveniles. And I don't care if it's a car thief from the city of Milwaukee or somebody who does something like this in McGuanago at the age of 15. 
yeah, I think they should be being detained right now instead of immediately turned over to mom and dad. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 842. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am disgusted with a capital D in the way juvenile car thieves are treated in this area. Most times we talk about what happens in Milwaukee County, but this is McGuanago. 15-year-old kid, Sunday night, steals, and I'm going to use the word steals, his parents' car. He's 15 years old, takes the car out overnight. Mom and dad presumably don't know where the kid is. He has no driver's license. He and at least one of his buddies, they're out egging homes. They crash the car. The kid crashes the car against a utility pole. The front seat passenger is a 14-year-old girl who is seriously injured. She's not going to die. That's good. He leaves her for dead flees, hides from the cops for several hours. He's all over social media um, saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just avoiding the police. I'm, I'm trying not to get caught. Ultimately, they catch him. Middle of the night, they turn him back over to mom and dad and say, well, you know, we're, we're considering different charges. All right. What do you mean you're turning him back over to mom and dad? You take the punk, you bring him in, he spends the night in the Huskal, and then you send him off to whatever juvenile detention facility it is. You don't just send him back to the home after after doing stuff like this. What am I missing? Sue in McGuanago. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sue. Um, first time caller, long time listener, Thank and long time resident of McGuanago. Yes, ma'am. I think our police department is outstanding. But when I watched Channel 12's um, uh, news footage last night about the whole thing, I saw the police officer shake that little punk. Punk? Punk's, punk's hand and send him off. I wanted to take that boy, put him over my knee and spank him. Yeah. That was horrible. It, 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 it was is. a horrible thing he did and a horrible thing for the policeman to do. It, you know, and again, look, and I, I'm not indicting the McGuanago Police Department, but, but this is unfortunately, Sue, this is the way juvenile car th- thieves are, are treated. It is with kid gloves. It is a miracle that that girl wasn't dead. He avoided yes. police for several hours. You lock him up. You put him yes. in handcuffs. You haul his sorry butt down to the police station, and then you send him off to whatever Waukesha Juvenile Facility is there the next day, and you have him in court. And you, he gets a yes. lawyer, and then you know you go through the process. But they just sent him home. It's disgraceful. I'm behind you 100. Yeah. percent No, thanks for calling. I mean, what? I mean, and again, and it's not even. Okay, he he ran. Okay, this isn't even. Okay, mom and dad are asleep. You take the car. You go off. You're you're egging houses. This is he ran. He leaves the 14 year old girl in the front seat of the car for dead, and then he's all over social media, avo- trying to avoid the police for several hours, and and we just. Here, okay, well, this is, you know, you're lucky you're not dead. That That's good. You're lucky you didn't kill somebody. Yes, that's true. Here, go on back to mom and dad, and we'll talk to you later. No, you put him in handcuffs. He spends the night in jail. He is then in a juvenile detention facility, and you let the court system work. I mean, my goodness, McGuanago police, do you really want to turn? Do you really want to set this kind of example? Do you really want to become Milwaukee County? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Baraboo. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? I think um, judging, because I used to live in McGuanago in that area, and I've had a couple run-ins. I'm not like small-town mafia or anything like that. I'm a regular person. <laughs> right, yeah. But I know that. I know they're very strict in McGuanago, 
for different little things that you might do, a traffic incident or something. So maybe maybe it's a case where the police knew the knew the family. Maybe I, they knew the parents. I maybe. You know, I, I mean I guess should that make any difference though? No. Yeah. Right, I, yeah. Yeah. I think he should be in big time trouble. Yeah, well, and I mean, and he might still be once this case gets to the DA's office and all. But, but this, I guess what really just struck me about this story is he does all this, he runs, he hides from the cops, and then they pat him on the back and, and they send him home. He should be, he should have been in custody, you know, not sent back home. And, you know, I, I, I do wonder, Mike, would, would this, would this have been treated differently if this had been a kid from the inner city of Milwaukee who had done the, the same thing. Let's even assume that it's not a stolen car. The kid's off joyriding. Same exact thing. Wraps the car around a pole after egging houses. Leaves his 14-year-old friend for dead. Avoids the police for three hours. Would the McGuanago police have just turned the kid over to his parents in the inner city of Milwaukee and said, here, you know, we'll look at charges? And I'll tell you the truth. I doubt they would have done that. Yeah, I doubt it. I, no, I mean, I just, I seriously doubt that they would have done that. And look, I, I take no pleasure picking on the police department, and I, I understand you've got this frustration with juveniles. But when I saw this story, my head exploded, because if we're going to ever get a handle on car theft and irresponsible behavior and life-threatening behavior, we can't keep teaching, treating these children and I say children in quotation marks, we can't cre- keep treating these punks like ki- with kid gloves. And I don't care whether it's some kid from Iguanago who maybe the cops know his parents, maybe they don't, I don't know, or some kid from the inner city of Milwaukee. It doesn't matter when you do this kind of thing and then you evade the police. Now, change the facts a little bit. All right, so maybe if the kid boosts a car in the middle of the night, goes out on a joyride and does this, and he stays by the scene, all right, you come up. Well, maybe that's a situation where you call mom and dad, but that's not what this kid did. This kid fled. They had to search for him, major manhunt, for three hours. At first, they think the kid might be dead because of his injuries because the car is so bad. Then it turns out the punk is just out there trying to avoid the cops. I mean, you know, really? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jim in Brookfield. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff Wagner. How's I, it going? Very well, thank you. What do you think about all this, sir? Um, I, if, okay, first-time caller, long-time listener. <laughs> um, and I'm a moderate Democrat or whatever. I mean, get that out of there. But, hey, this is terrible. This is very, very terrible. I live in Brookfield, mm-hmm. and... Um, We've had car thefts from residents in Brookfield, and we have increased car thefts from, I just had my truck in to a dealership. I won't name them, but there's like uh, two dealerships where they've had vehicles stolen. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, Jim, it's a huge problem. I mean, I was talking, I was at a party on Saturday night with... Um, Somebody who's very involved with it, with a car dealership, actually, somebody who owns a car dealership. And they were talking about all the different problems that all the area car dealers have been having with people breaking in, these gangs of kids, breaking in, breaking windows, trying to steal cars, setting cars on fire. No, this is a huge problem in this entire area. Yes, sir. And, I mean, we're not just talking about stealing a car here. We're talking, was that a 14-year-old girl that... 14-year-old girl in the front seat with him that he, he left for dead. I don't... And, and the reports are that she was seriously injured, but should be okay. But he left her. He left her 
to die in the in in the car, seriously injured, and ran off and avoided the cops. And turned over to mom and dad. You know, if you're if you commit a crime like this, and you leave somebody injured mm-hmm. or dead, you there has to be more to it than what the police did. There just has to be. Yeah, I mean that's like. You know, if, no, no, you're right. No, thanks for calling me. No, you're right. It's 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 just almost, and again, it's just almost unimaginable. Like like I say, to me, I think this is a big deal. Maybe in Maguanago, you know, kids taking their parents' cars and, and doing this isn't that big a deal. Maybe it happens all the time. But when you have these different circumstances, again, you add the evading the police, leaving the scene of an accident. And by the way, he's 15 years old. To just turn him back over to mom and dad, here, give him some milk and cookies. No, you take him in. And again, I'm, I'm not saying this kid goes to prison for 10 or 20 years. That's not what I'm arguing. But you, you need to have an immediate response. And that immediate response is you put him in handcuffs, he spends the night in the Huskow, he appears in front of some juvenile court judge in Waukesha, now, and, and then, then you let the system run its course. But he wasn't arrested. My God, what do you have to do to get arrested? And I will be honest, I, the first thing I thought of, and a number of you are texting me this, uh, again, if this wasn't a resident of Maguanago, this was a 15-year-old kid, same facts from Milwaukee, would they have done the same thing? And I, my guess is that they probably... You know, wouldn't. Um, let's see. I have a note here. I would like to know what clearance of the 14-year-old girl, what the parents of the 14-year-old girl think about the whole thing. As the mother of five daughters, I would be very angry at my daughter, of course, but I would want to see the boy, um, the the boy punished. Um, yeah, there is that point. Um, again, and I, 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 it's it just it is an ongoing frustration, and until we decide to stop treating these punks. With kid gloves, until we realize this is not leave it to beaver anymore. I mean, we have people who are out there doing really horrible things and getting away with it and being essentially just emboldened by the fact that there's no consequences. And this is just a classic example. When I'm watching the story and they say, oh, he wasn't arrested, they'll, they'll you know, the, the DA will take a look at it. Well, okay. That, that's wonderful, but maybe, just maybe, if we started arresting these people on the spot, just maybe there'd be fewer people doing it. Just saying. It's 855. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There are numerous names that have been applied for the interim. There are numerous names that have applied for the interim sheriff position with Milwaukee County. Do you believe acting Sheriff Richard Smith is doing enough to warrant his that position himself, or should Governor Walker look elsewhere? Scafidi and Billstad examine the factors in play at 12:35. Got a text from somebody who says, "Hey, I'm in law enforcement up north, Jeff, and you, you got to understand it's like human services that decide where you know where the child protective people that decide where the kids get placed. I understand that, but I'm saying." You arrest the kid in the first place. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You find the punk. You put him the bracelets in. He spends the night in the Huskal, and then you send the matter over to the district attorney's office. He appears in front of some juvenile court judge. If the juvenile court judge decides that they want to turn the punk back out on the streets or send him over to mom and dad, that's okay. But the police arrest him. You get him in the system. You don't pat him on the back and say, hey, you're lucky you're still alive, and the girl is lucky you're still alive, and just send him back off and say, well, you know, maybe we'll We'll come find you later on. No, that you need to act immediately. Like I say, ultimately, once you get him in the court system, I'm not naive. I understand that they're going to probably turn him loose anyways. But at least for the moment, when you catch him after avoiding the police for three hours, 
you put him in handcuffs and you take him and he spends the night in jail, that would have been the best thing that could have happened to this kid. It's 8.59 when we come back. Big story number two. It's 9.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two, Jamel Hill. Now, chances are, maybe you still don't know who Jamel Hill is, but my guess is within uh, about two or three weeks ago, you would not have known. She is ESPN, which is, of course, the flagship station sports, made its name by you know um, showing live sports programming and then like various highlight shows. ESPN, in an effort, in its opinion, to stay relevant, has sort of changed its operating mode. The problem ESPN has now is you don't need to wait till 10 o'clock anymore to see the highlights. If if you weren't able to catch the Brewers-Giants game and you, you want to see the highlights, well, all you have to do is pull out your smartphone and you can go to any one of a number of sites and, and you can see, oh, you know, um, Ryan Braun hit a home run in the third inning. You can see that. And so that's one of the reasons why ESPN's ratings have been declining. There's a lot of reasons. It's complicated. So they have been going more to entertainment-based programming, still with a sport, obviously centered around sports, but still more opinion, more entertainment, and they have gotten more and more political over time. So Jamel Hill, who is an African-American woman, is she's was hired. She's been with the network for a few years. She and her partner now co-anchor the sports center that airs at 5 o'clock our time, 6 o'clock on the East Coast. And she is very, very political, and she is very, very outspoken. So a couple weeks ago, she takes to Twitter, and she essentially says, you know, Donald Trump is a white supremacist, and people who support Donald Trump are white supremacists. That, that's, you know, that, that's what she says. And this is kind of her response to the president getting involved in this NFL anthem protest. So, I mean, here you have the situation. Now, ESPN has, of course come down on other people, Kurt Schilling most notably, who is a conservative, he ended up getting fired for things that he was saying and tweeting about. And what ESPN said in particular was, we told him to knock some of this stuff off, and he kept doing it, and after being warned, we we had no choice but to fire him. So uh, Jamel Hill calls the president a white supremacist, and there there is no punishment. What they apparently do, they don't suspend her, no time on the bricks, they don't fire her, they apparently whistle her in and they say, okay, here's our social media policy and, and what you did is, is inappropriate, you are a representative of ESPN and when you say these things it reflects on the network, but they don't do anything to her, they tell her just don't do it again. Well, all right. And, of course, that doesn't make anybody happy because you've got the people on the left who are saying, oh, you're trying to silence this black female and you've got you know everybody else saying, Wait, what do you mean? You're, you're not going to discipline her? She calls the president a white supremacist? Really? All right, but, but that's it. But they remind her of the social media policy. They say, okay, just essentially don't do it again. Well, she can't apparently help herself. Um, over the weekend, and this is one of the things that the worm is starting to turn on these NFL protests. You have the owner of the Miami Dolphins who essentially tells his players, knock this stuff off. You are not, if you decide that you don't want to stand for the national anthem, stay in the tunnel. Just just don't come out. But if you're on the sidelines, I want you standing up. So, okay, you can stay in the tunnel, but otherwise I want you standing up. 
Jerry Jones, who is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, he comes out and, and he says that this that this is it. He said that, you know, if, if people, I've had enough of this, if people um, don't stand during the national anthem, uh, my players, they're going to be benched. So that, that's what he says. This is how I'm handling my players are going to be benched. At which point in time, Jamel Hill, having been cautioned about, you know, stay out of this, um, she then again takes to Twitter to respond to what Jerry Jones has said. Now, Jerry Jones, of course, is one of the owners in the NFL, a very powerful owner in the NFL, and the NFL is, of course, a broadcast partner of ESPN. You take the NFL away from ESPN, and ESPN's got nothing. Um, so... Here's what happens. Jamel Hill takes to Twitter and she writes, change happens when advertisers are impacted. If you strongly reject what Jerry Jones said, the key is his advertisers. So what she is essentially saying is, um, she's not saying the word boycott, but she's saying, hey, if you don't like what Jerry Jones is saying, here is it, go, go, go after those advertisers. So, again, she's injecting herself into this political debate, at which point in time ESPN says enough is enough. They come out and they say, Jamel Hill, this is, has been suspended for two weeks for a second violation of our social media guidelines. She previously acknowledged letting her colleagues and company down with an impulsive tweet. In the aftermath, all employees were reminded of how individual tweets may reflect negatively on ESPN and that such actions would have consequences, hence this decision. So in other words, we, we told her to knock this off. She didn't. She's on the bricks for two weeks. Now, of course, this is generating a huge response. Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al, takes to Twitter himself. ESPN suspension of Jamel Hill is an outrage and should not go unanswered. ESPN and advertisers will hear from us. All right, there's another story, a column that appeared in the Washington Post. Let me sort through our stuff here um, that, that talks about, again, this is ESPN's effort to, you know, oh, there's Washington Post. ESPN doesn't deserve Jamel Hill. ESPN doesn't deserve to retain the services of Jamel Hill. It's opinionated sports center anchor, and it goes on to say that, hey, you know, this is, you know, this is this, they're trying to silence um they're trying to silence this woman for um, expressing, you know, her opinion on this controversy. And, you know, how dare they suspend her for having, uh, again, going after, you know, Jerry Jones. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, in, this is one of these situations where ESPN has managed to make nobody happy. By not disciplining her in the first place when she talked about Trump and white supremacy, you know, she's got a lot of people who, you know, think – ESPN soft peddled this. Now that she has continued to do this and has been suspended, you've got the Al Sharptons of the world who are denouncing this as this effort to silence this black woman. 414-799-1620. Did ESPN get it right by suspending her for two weeks for what she said? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. But how do you feel? Is ESPN handling this correctly? It's big story number two, and we discuss next. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 918. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
After being warned, uh, let's see, in a service-based business, people are the product. The CEO of Milwaukee-based Penrod imparts that philosophy on the team at Milwaukee in the intersection of People and Place podcast. It is up now on the WTMJ mobile app. Okay, let's go to our text line first. Jeff says, I think this woman should be fired. She's clearly shown that she cannot maintain basic objectivity standards of journalism. There are a lot of journalists adhering to such standards who would love to have her position and would not abuse it. Dan text, if she had made a similar comment about a liberal group, she would have been terminated on the spot. I agree. Two weeks is a slap on the wrist for what she did. Randy says essentially the same thing. If it would have been the other way around, a white person saying that about Obama, they would have been fired the first time. Now, here is the interesting thing, and Mitch makes the point. You can insult the president in the vilest way, but stay away from those sponsors. ESPN um, head the way the purity of their politics against the weight of the golden goose. Yeah, that is kind of this interesting thing. All right, you know, you, you criticize the president, you call him a white supremacist. Um, okay, we're going to talk to you, but you imply that maybe people should try to hurt Jerry Jones in the pocketbook, and you're going. Where do I come down on this? I, I think clearly they had to suspend her. I mean, if your management, if if management in any company comes to you and they say, knock this off. All right, you know, if, if you want to keep working here. You know, knock this off because this reflects on us. You have now dragged us into the middle of the controversy. And a week later, you do the same damn thing or the equivalent of it. What do you think is going to happen? Let's talk to Bob in Brookfield. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, yeah, my glove, my ball is boiling because this, uh, this woman, I've been thinking about a boycott myself. I'd like to have a list of advertisers for everyone in the NFL, and I would do my utmost to uh, boycott them. And if anything, uh, I haven't watched the game for three weeks now, and if anything, she's going to make a Cowboys fan out of me. <laughs> I have, uh, I have a, and I'm cleaning up a room right now that I called my Packer room, and I have every whole of Packer paraphernalia in one box that I'm going to return to uh, people yeah. that have given it, uh, the stuff that has been given to given to me will go back to them and the rest I'm going to burn. Well, you know, I mean, I and, guess, I, Bob, I mean, I always caution people to, to not, over, thanks for the call, to, to not overreact to stuff in, in, in the moment. I know a lot of people feel strongly. I actually think this kind of, the kind of thing is, is ultimately going to end up blowing over. But, but having said that, I mean, this idea that this Jamel Hill is some sort of a victim, give me a break. I mean, seriously, she, look, if your employer, she crossed the line with her comments about the president. And, in my, and, and I don't care if you like Trump or don't like Trump. In, in my opinion, she, she crossed the line. Um, she is not paid by ESPN to be a political commentator, and she drags her network, her employer, into the middle of this controversy. ESPN handled it badly by not disciplining her in the first place. But their justification for drawing the distinction between the way she was treated and the way Kurt Schilling was treated, he was fired, was they said, well, we had warned Schilling. We had told him, knock off the the political stuff in your commentary. He ignored us, so now he's gone. So that was their justification. Now, clearly, I I think it was bigger than that. I think ESPN just didn't want this hot potato. They they didn't want to get in the middle of the situation, and they didn't want to be seen as coming down against the the NFL players. They didn't want to be seen as beating up on an African-American female. They were trying to take that middle ground, so they they soft-pedaled it. They told her not to do it again. 
She obviously did not care, so she goes and does it again. At that point in time, they got to put her on the bricks. They, they, they just absolutely have to. Now, I have a text here from Lon who says, regardless if we agree with what she is saying or not, and I do not, isn't it unconstitutional for ESPN to control what she can say on her own independent platform? I guess no one is making her work there, though. No, and the answer is no. It's not unconstitutional. And this is something that gets lost. The First Amendment, freedom of speech right, that says government can't restrict your freedom of speech. It doesn't talk about employers. If you are in in an employment setting, you have extremely limited free speech rights. If WTMJ has never, ever, in the 20 years I've worked here, they have never, ever, ever told me, not to comment on something or to comment on something. They've just never directed that, and I've always respected that through my various program directors and general managers and Steve Wexler, the big boss. Nobody has ever censored me in any way, shape, or form. But if WTMJ came and said, Jeff, um, we want to, I don't know, stay clear of the fudgy-wudgy chocolate pump controversy. All right, we, we want to stay clear of that. We don't want you talking about that. And I would say, well, I think this is an outrage, and, and I want to express my opinion, and I'm going to express it. Well, yeah, I could express it, but my employer then could say, hey, we told you not to talk about this because it's a huge advertiser. Or this controversy reflects negatively on the station. We told you to stay away from this, and, yes, you're going to be disciplined. We directed you not to do this. Your employers have the right, and the fact that you did it on your own Twitter account as opposed to on the station's Twitter account, it, it doesn't matter because if you're a public figure – you're associated with ESPN, you're covering the NFL. No, there's no constitutional right. Your employers have every right to say, hey, if you want to keep working here, you know, we don't want you going down this particular route. And that's why employers have social media policies all the time. Newspapers, I mean, that's a classic example of this. You know, newspapers restrict the free speech rights of their employers all the time. I I know for a fact people at the Journal Sentinel, for example, back in the Walker recall days, who were disciplined or at least talked to or cautioned or warned because they violated the Journal Sentinel's policy of, of political activity. They signed recall petition. They, they, um, they, they, it was the aim at recall. It goes back that far. That's what I was thinking of. They signed the, you know, aim at recall petitions. That was a violation of the policy. You know, as an individual citizen, they have a First Amendment right to do it, but the reflection was, hey, this reflects over into your workspace. Um, people who signed at various media outlets who signed the Walker recall petitions, you know, they ended up um, getting at least talked to or, or whatever. Yeah, your, rest- your First Amendment rights can be restricted by your employer. In this particular case, um, ESPN, by not disciplining her in the first place, I think made the situation worse. But, yeah, she gets two weeks on the bricks, and I don't have any problem with this at all. And my guess is she's going to come back. And you know what? I bet you, I bet you, Gru, who is producing the show today and always, how long do you think it will be before she does it again? You think she's going to learn a lesson? No. It won't. Yeah, you're right. It won't take long. She's going to come back, and she's going to do the same thing again. She is going to force them to take a job action. So if she does, if she doesn't resign, my prediction is she's going to come back. She's going to do it again because she's the hero and the darling of the left, and she's going to try to um, like drive this into some bigger sort of, of gig. Just predicting. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three is coming up. And before that, I don't know, Bill and Hillary Clinton, I don't know, there might be a little bit of problems in the love nest. Stick around.
It's 929, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so this is a New York Post, so you can you can take it with a grain of salt if you want. But insider claims Bill Clinton is heartsick over Hillary's book tour. Edward Klein, who's written several books about the Clintons and Kennedys, has a hotly anticipated all-out war, The Plot to Destroy Trump, a new book coming out on October 30th. Um, in the meantime, he reveals that Hillary Clinton's finger-pointing book, What Happened, which is full of excuses for her loss to Donald Trump, um, has apparently created a problem between the Clintons. The report is that Bill, and I don't know how you understand what happened between husband and wife, but Bill Clinton tossed his copy in the trash can and is heartsick over his wife's current blame game book tour. Um, before Hillary sent the manuscript to her publisher, she gave it to Bill to read. He made major changes with a red pencil. She refused to even read his corrections. Now I can see that. And got so furious, he got furious, he tossed the manuscript into the garbage. The report is... He has told her that the book made her look bewildered, angry, and confused, and that those were poor qualities in a person who aspired to be a world leader. He hated the title because calling it What Happened would only make people say, You lost. (laughs) There's that. He urged her to postpone the publication date and rewrite the book, but she yelled at him and said, The book is finished, and that's how it's going to be published. Since their fight last summer over the book, um, Bill's negative feelings about Hillary's memoir have grown even more intense. I don't know. Now, you can take that for a grain of salt, but you can kind of see that whole thing kind of playing out. You know, Hillary, I don't think this is the right tone to take. Stop it. You know, you didn't help me at all. Boom. Um, Yeah. Who knows? Maybe there's just kind of trouble in trouble in love land. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. We've got big thing number three coming up. But before that, we launched this campaign uh, yesterday. It's WTMJ Cares. And over the last couple of years, We've been able to identify various causes that have been very important to a number of the personalities that you've heard on the station. We've raised a bunch of money or we've, you know, promoted my, my case last year. It was a situation with cancer awareness and testing and things like that. And, uh, this time it's my friend and colleague, Jane Matinair, who has been very, very involved and in, involved in this particular organization um, for, for quite a while. I know Jane and I have been talking about it. And, Jane, this time uh, the WTMJ Cares event is yours. Let's talk a little bit about it. It is. I am so honored, Jeff, to have the support of WTMJ and our title sponsor, First Bank Financial Center. As you mentioned, I fell in love with this organization about two years ago. Rides and Reigns has been providing reduced-cost equine therapy for special needs children and adults for the last 17 years. So you may wonder... And justifiably so. What is equine therapy? Well, it's all about the gait of the horse. This is Rides and Reins Director Renee Elias. Actually, the gait of the horse is very similar to the gait of uh, uh, the human walk. And that's why it is so very uh, healing and soothing because it does simulate the uh, walk of, of a human. So for riders with autism, Down syndrome, and other special needs, they really can develop a unique bond not only with the horse, but with the scores of dedicated volunteers and professionals who keep rides and reins operating. For many of the riders, it's a vitally important part of their week. I think it's helped, yes. It's given us something to look forward to on Saturdays, come out here. Originally, she it was a struggle just to get her out of the house. Now it's she's ready to go and, yeah, enjoys it a lot. That's Greg Marsh talking about his daughter, Chloe, Here's the deal. Now, without your help, Rides and Reigns is going to be forced to shut down if an ADA-approved bathroom isn't constructed by June of 2018. Our goal is $23,000, and the good news is there is already a place for it. We have found a spot. 
Uh, it's actually in one of our original buildings uh, right off of our um, uh, classroom uh, in one of the buildings. Uh, it used to be the old tack room. Again, our goal is $23,000 to get this ADA-approved bathroom built at Rise and Rains, which is just outside of Slinger, uh, by June of next year. Here's Mike Ellis talking about his daughter, Addie. It would be fairly devastating. It would certainly change our weekends quite a bit. And, you know, she loves the ride, but she loves, I think we all love coming out here. If you could go to our website, WTMJ.com, click on the WTMJ Cares link, and that is going to take you to more information about rides and reins. There's a beautiful video that our uh, our webmasters did, Dan Shinek and Jay Sorgi, uh, to tell you a little bit more about the mission of rides and reins. And then there's also a link there that uh, you can click to donate, and that will take you to the GoFundMe page for rides and reins. Again, our goal, $23,000. Right now, we're a little over $2,400, and the deadline is is a week from Friday. You're actually a little higher than that because just to show how well, just to show you how easy it was, um, Jane and I, I know this. This is first of all, it's just a wonderful cause, um, and I know f- how passionate you feel. Just during the interim, um, just I, I hope on, on behalf of Fran and I, we, we just donated 250 bucks. Thank you so much. Well, well no, and it, but it, I mean, it took me and it took me two and a half minutes to do that. It's, so it's pretty easy. It, it, it is. So I mean, very, very easy. Just have a credit card ready, and they they make it very easy. So we wanted to contribute. I. Fran and I want to contribute 250 bucks to this to help you kind of get to there. Because I, I know you talk about going out there and actually seeing seeing what this means for the kids. And that's what I think really caught your attention. Absolutely. And and again, these are these are special needs children. Some of these children are nonverbal. But when I, I sit there outside of the barn and they pull into the parking lot with their parents and get out of the car, it doesn't seem to matter what kind of physical issues they might have. They walk into that barn with the biggest smile on their faces and we're talking about some little kids. We're talking about seven, you know, six and seven year olds who are getting up on these great big right. 17 hand horses. Uh, many of them have core strength issues, but when they get up on that horse, they sit so straight mm-hmm. and, and obviously just get so much out of this. And it's, it's a unique program. There aren't that many options for the parents of special needs children for different types of therapy. And this is something that's just, so unique and and so special and so healing. It's it, they're just wonderful people. Well, and it, what also struck me about the, the, the videos and the stories you've been telling is my, my guess for for a lot of these the, these kids, the autism and the brain injuries and cerebral palsy and Down syndrome. Um, it's a tough life. I mean, it's it's just a tough life. You you face these challenges that we didn't have to face, you know, growing up. And I really get the sense that this is something these kids look forward to. Oh, you know it's, I mean? a, it's yeah. a big marker. Right, yeah. It's it like, is. Okay, Saturday is the day we get to, you know, for, forget all the other stuff that you're dealing with. Saturday is the day that we get to go ride the horses yep. or, or whatever. Yep. It's uh, Again, all the parents that I spoke to, you know, my daughter knows it's Friday because she doesn't have to do homework. And if she doesn't have to do homework in the afternoon, then the next day is Saturday and she gets to go see Spice. The, the horse that right. she's developed this relationship for. And, and two, again, it's a really important place marker for, for these kids and for their families because I, gotta, I have to say the families get a lot out of just going out to the farm and, and being there and watching them on the horse. And, and it, it's just a really peaceful, healing place. So the goal is $23,000, which will allow them to stay open. They can build the handicap facility. We're hoping to raise this by, there's a little bit of an urgency. We're hoping to raise this by a week from Friday. A week from Friday. Uh, Again, the the bathroom has to be built by June 1st of 2018. Once we get the money in hand, then we can start getting some of the 
groundwork done and get the pipes in the ground, hopefully before we get too deep into winter. So we really would like to start uh, excavation and stuff in the next in the next couple of weeks. So once again, um, with all the details up on WTMJ.com, including the videos that you've been talking about. But there's also, we make it really easy. You click on this, and there's a spot that says, you know, donate now. And like I said, it took me... It took me all of two minutes during that break to do that. So it, didn't even not, break a sweat. Didn't even right. Didn't even break. You didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of. You just. I just. And but it's it, it's that easy to do, and it is a wonderful cause. And uh, Jane, I, I know WTMJ listeners are going to support you in a big way. Um, this really is something that's for the kids. And it thanks is. for doing this. Oh, and thank you so much. Every little bit counts. If you can't be as generous as Jeff and Fran, that's not a problem. Five dollars, ten dollars, it doesn't matter. It's that's that's what all adds up in the end and is going to get us to our goal. Um, our latest WTMJ CARES initiative, Save Rides and Rains for the Kids. It's a great story. Jane Mettner, thanks so much. We'll Thank see you, you a little Jeff. bit. We'll be back with big story number three in just a minute. It's 942. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What is it about AT&T Stadium, the Dallas Cowboys, that has allowed Aaron Rodgers to break their hearts time after time? Wayne Larravee weighs in on the dramatic wins in Big D during the Rogers era. That's at 3.20 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You know, it is an interesting turnaround. If you are a long-standing Packers fan, you will remember that there was there was a time a couple decades ago where the Packers, it seemed like they played the Cowboys every year in the playoffs, and, and they could never, they just could never get past the the, the Cowboys. And so... That, that jinx has is, is kind of been broken. It is sort of an interesting type of thing. But uh, check out, uh, again, uh, 320 this afternoon. Wayne's going to be around. Check that out. All right. Big story number two. And, and by the way, this is a, this is a, it's a wonderful cause. And it's really, um, I, I'm just, I'm thrilled that Jane got involved with it. Jane, this, for this whole Rides and Rains thing, she has been talking about this for months and months and months and i'm so glad that our station management was able to make this that this formally happen um the fundraising campaign and all and like i said it's really easy to donate and um this is just this one really is is for the kids and um we all want to encourage you again you know ten dollars twenty five dollars five hundred dollars twenty five hundred dollars whatever you see fit to give it's it's really it's going to a wonderful <clears throat> wonderful um cause all right big story number three the war on coal is over uh the obama administration passed you know implemented an executive order um that essentially well it it was a declaration of of war on on the coal industry what the Obama administration had done, again, via this uh, electrical, via this, this executive order, was essentially impose restrictions on the coal industry, which essentially put these various coal companies out of business. Because what it did is it imposed um, limitations on the amount of carbon dioxide that could be you know, produced from burning coal and things like that. And, and the bottom line of it was th- these just were not practical. You could not do this. And essentially, it was th- this was an effort, I think, to long-term close down coal plants across the country. And the idea was, so it's cheap energy. You know, who cares? We're going to do away with it. Now, the reality is a lot of coal-fired plants 
are starting to shut down now voluntarily. It's a free market thing. Right now, natural gas is cheaper and it's easier to produce than coal, and it's more efficient. So just as a reflection of market forces, what you have going on now is you've got more and more people are turning to natural gas as opposed to coal. And that, I think, is probably going to be, is going to continue. But this idea that coal is somehow this evil thing and that we, we need to, again, force these industries out of business, I, I think is absolutely absurd. On top of that, um, this is another one of these examples of the Obama administration overreach. It's the same thing with, like, the dreamers in the, er- the area of immigration. I think reasonable people could argue that looking at all the different immigration things that we have going on and the different challenges that illegal immigration poses, 800,000 people who came to this country illegally as children um, brought here by their parents who have grown up in this country who aren't causing problems, um, that that it doesn't make any sense to concentrate immigration efforts on, on trying to, uh, again, deport some kid who came here when they were three, who's now graduated from college. And, and I candidly, I would agree with that. But the problem is, of course, the way that Obama did it. Instead of trying to get a legislative change through Congress, you know, King Barack Obama simply said, well, this is what it's going to be, and I'm going to order, essentially, my immigration people not to follow the law. I am going to set up this entire thing based on my say-so. Well, that's not how this government works. And um, President Trump, again, regardless of how you feel about the dreamers, was absolutely correct in saying, hey, this is not, you know, if we want to pass a law carving out an exception to the immigration policy for these people who are in this country illegally because they were brought here by their parents, that's fine. But that is something for Congress to do. And on that point, President Trump is absolutely 100 percent correct. This is the same sort of situation where you have, again, if Congress decides that they want to legislate the coal industry out of business. Okay, fine. Now, I don't think Congress is ultimately going to do that. But again, it's a congressional matter. It's not just simply let's pass this sweeping rule decreed by the Obama administration, which will essentially cause these businesses to um, these businesses to, to close. So now what's going to end up happening is that the EPA administrator, they're, they're rolling back these regulations that's going to have to go through a public comment period. Uh, and again, that could take a couple months. And obviously that there's going to be the Democrats are going to be screaming. You're going to have environmental groups that are going to be screaming. You're going to have, um, you know, lawsuits that are coming out. But the bottom line of all this is at least for the moment, these efforts, these efforts to try to kill the coal industry artificially appear to be coming to an end. Now, again, I, I freely acknowledge that market forces are have the potential, at least short-term and maybe long-term, to you know limit the amount of coal-fired plants that are out there, again, simply because natural gas right now is cheaper, it's easier to produce, it's cleaner burning. There's all sorts of things that market forces are probably going to operate, but that's the market forces. That's not the government passing that rule. All right, 414-799-1620 is our number. Um, This is big story number three. I I think, again, this is a situation where the Trump administration is absolutely 100% correct. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner. 
It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. You knew this was bound to happen. Somebody severely injured at a baseball game has now filed a lawsuit. How should this play out? And then in about 20 minutes, this controversy involving the Major League slime bag, Harvey Weinstein, who was the founder of Miramax, big Hollywood mogul, um, viewed as this champion of women's rights, well, it turns out for the last 30 years, the guy has been a serial harasser. And it's interesting because a lot of the Hollywood left, well, apparently because it was convenient for them, they turned a blind eye to this over for the years and even now aren't prepared to condemn him. Boy, what a bunch of hypocrites. We'll be discussing that in a little bit as well. Breaking news story out of out of Las Vegas and I really don't want to open up the phone lines on this yet because I, I don't think we know what this means. But the sheriff's department has changed the timeline in the Las Vegas shootings. Um, of course, everybody knows you had the the, the crazy guy who, and never, I don't think they're ever going to know what his motive was. I mean, I, I just, I just, I don't think didn't leave notes. Nobody seems to be able to figure out what it was that caused this man to decide to methodically you know, murder as many people as he did in the fashion they did. But the story had always been that after the shooting started, um, a security guard at Mandalay Bay ha- had tried to get into the room, had confronted him, had been shot and forced to retreat. But the story had always been that that happened after the shooting had started. Well, now the sheriff's department is changing the timeline. What it appears happened is that the the guy, the shooter, Paddock, had apparently, he was trying to plan for his escape. And so what he had done is he had propped a, a door um, on, on, on the floor. He had propped it open. And what that had done is it had set off a door alarm. So you had a security guard who went to investigate, you know, why the alarm was going off in, in the stairwell. And when he got up there, um, he had been shot. He was shot in the leg by, by Paddock. And then he retreated, and apparently there was some security worker that, you know, sheltered with the security guard. Okay, we knew that that had happened. But what everybody thought is it happened after the shooting started. It turns out that it occurred six minutes before he started shooting. Now, why might this be significant? And that's it, it raises this question of, what happened during those six minutes? You know, what happened after the security security guard was initially wounded? Did, did he contact anybody? You know, what did he do? What calls did he make? And then, of course, now this is going to lead to all this speculation. You know, could could the police have responded? I mean, I don't know. If, if you're at the Mandalay Day and you get a report from a security guard saying, hey, I was investigating this thing. There's a guy in room whatever who just shot through the door and shot me. Um, the question becomes... You know, what should have been the response? And if the response had happened, I don't could they have gotten somebody there before he actually started shooting? Would it have been possible to minimize this? Now, I don't know any of that stuff and you don't know the logistics, but this is this is a development that does, I think, raise some kind of significant questions about what happened during those six minutes. What did the security guard do? Who knew what when? Now, the reality is. No, that's six minutes in some cases seems like an eternity. But when you're talking about the 32nd floor of, of a giant hotel in, in Las Vegas, 
Um, I, you know, how, how do you mobilize? How do you get people there? How quickly? Those are all questions that I think that we just don't know enough information about. But this is at least it is a development that I think bears watching. What happened to those six minutes? And I see the sheriff in Las Vegas said, well, this is a minor change in the timeline. Well, it's a minor change to the effect that it doesn't change the fact that lots of people died and lots of people were injured, but it's a major factor to the extent of what happened during those missing six minutes. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner coming up. All right. Go to a ball game. You take some risks. If you get hurt, should you be able to sue? Stick around. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. We have talked about this in different contexts before. I am a huge baseball fan. I probably, eh, depending, I probably got to somewhere between 15 and 20 games at Miller Park this year. Maybe not quite that many. It, it just it just depends. But I, I go to a, a lot of ball games, and I enjoy, to the extent I, I can, I, I enjoy sitting close to the field. I, I have said this before. I don't mind looking through the nets. As a matter of fact, I actually like it because I, I like sitting sort of in that behind home plate or just down the, the lines um, in that first level. Uh, but but I, you, if you see how fast these foul balls get into the stands, you, there, there's always this element of, of a little bit of risk. And, and the truth is, I mean, I pay attention to the games. But at the same time, I, I keep a scorecard, and I'll be sitting there, and there would be times that if you're there with somebody, you turn your head, you know, you're talking to somebody, you're, you know, eating peanuts, you're, you're doing whatever, and you see how fast the balls, the foul balls in particular, get into the stands. Um, I've told this story before. The, the seats, WTMJ, because we're one of the sponsors, we, we have... We have seats that we use that the sales department uses for client entertaining, and every once in a while, I, I get access to those, and I go with a client or something like that. One of the sets of seats we have are, are behind home plate, and they're they're, they're completely covered by the, the screens by the netting. There's another section that's just down the third baseline that is really right where the bigger net ends, and so it, it's you really have to pay attention because if a foul ball comes back, it gets on you very very quickly now i've never been in any danger of stuff but i mean i i'm always constantly aware of that that's why i have been a big proponent of extending the netting further down now whenever we have talked about this we get into a spirited discussion because there's lots of people who just think that interferes with their enjoyment of, of the game they they like to have the ability to get a foul ball and so they, they don't and they don't like looking through a net i i know Lots of people who sit in those seats who pay a lot of money for those seats, and they just don't like looking through a net. To me, it, it's not a big deal. But Major League Baseball is wrestling with this. How far down do you extend the net? How high up do you make the net? Um, if you go to a ball game, is there an assumption of risk? Right. So here's the story. Um, 60-year-old guy, his name is John Luce, Schaumburg, Illinois. He's at a Cubs game um, at Wrigley Field in late August with with his son and um they're 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 again they're in the the, they're in the the lower area of of the seating and apparently what happens is that there's a foul ball that gets um into the seats very very quickly now the young man's son says hey i i saw this ball coming it was coming right at us i tried to i tried to block it 
but I, I couldn't get my hand up fast enough. And it apparently hits Dad, the 60-year-old man, hits him in the face, breaks his nose, breaks six bones around his left eye, and leaves him blind in his left eye because he got hit by th- this foul ball. And again, the son says, I, I was there with him. I saw this ball coming at it, but I, I, I just couldn't react quickly enough to, to, to stop the ball, and it, it just it hit my dad. Um, he was apparently um, down the first baseline during the game that he was, you know, during the game that he was injured, taken by an ambulance to the hospital, undergone three surgeries, expected to have at least two more, very, very badly injured. Okay, so why do I tell you the story? Well, he has now filed a lawsuit, filed this yesterday. He is seeking damages from the Cubs organization, alleging that the Cubs were negligent because Wrigley Field does not have enough spectator netting that's up. And his argument is, hey, if if they would have had netting all the way down, for example, the first and third baselines, that this ball wouldn't have come off as fast, it wouldn't have had the trajectory, I would not have gotten hit in the face, and I would not be blind in one eye now. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I, I think there are two issues. I freely admit I am one of those guys who thinks that in the interest of safety, you should extend the netting down the various lines. And, and if I were the king, I would probably do that. right? But, but, but lots of people disagree, like I say, with that. Now, here's a situation where the guy wasn't covered by the protective netting. He was down the first baseline. He was hit with the foul ball and was seriously injured. Theoretically, had they had netting up higher and extended it farther, this would not have happened. What do you think about the lawsuit, though? Are the Cubs, should the Cubs be liable for the injuries that this man sustained? And let us assume for the sake of argument that if they had had that netting up there, that the netting would have probably caught, hit the, stopped the ball from going and hitting this guy in the face. Does he have a case, though? Should he be able to recover simply by virtue of the fact that the Cubs didn't have the netting up there? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Are the Cubs liable? Should somebody, and I guess I, I'm using this case because it just happened yesterday. You know, the lawsuit was filed yesterday. But, you know, you could apply this to Miller Park. You're sitting in Miller Park, and this has happened before. You get hit and seriously injured by that foul ball. Should you be able to recover damages from the Brewers? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Your generosity has helped our WTMJ Cares initiative raise hundreds of thousands of dollars in recent years for causes close to the heart of so many in our community. Now you have a chance to help out children with emotional or physical needs who find therapy and healing on horseback. It's a wonderful cause. Rides and Reigns Therapeutic Riding Center in the town of Polk is in danger of closing its doors without our help. Go to WTMJ.com for details and keep listening for more information on this remarkable cause and what you can do to help keep it alive through WTMJ Cares, first sponsored by First Bank Financial. And as a matter of fact, just uh, we had Jane on about 45 minutes ago, and a lot of people already went to the website and made very generous donations, and we all appreciate that very, very much. Okay, so a guy goes to a Chicago Cubs game, and this happened in Chicago, but the 
the truth is it, it could and has happened in Miller Park before, gets hit with a foul ball. He's sitting down the first baseline, 60-year-old man. Um, his son is with him. He says, I actually tried to block the ball. It just got on us too fast. And it hit Dad in the head. Dad has had in the face um, six bones broken around the eye, uh, nose broken, lost the sight in his left eye as a result of this. He has now filed a lawsuit against the Cubs. Now, I am somebody who candidly thinks that the netting should be extended and thinks it should be higher. I, I've always believed that. But that's not to say that I necessarily think that if I go to a game and I'm sitting down the first baseline or the third baseline and the net isn't as high or there's no net, that I think that that means that the club is responsible if I get hit by a foul ball. 414-799-1620. Let's start with um, Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, uh, as I was telling your screener, I don't think that the club should be liable uh, for people getting hit with foul balls. Um, I played high school and college ball. I played fast pitch softball. And foul balls are hit in those situations, and people occasionally do get hit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to sue the high school, sue the college, you know, sue the bar that sponsors the softball team? Where does it stop? Well, right, that's the whole thing. I mean, we got to not wrap people in bubble wrap. Well, I guess, I mean, the question to me becomes, is it is it an unreasonably dangerous condition? And I guess i got to believe, as somebody who's been going to baseball games since I was four years old or five years old, I mean, when, when you go and you sit in these seats, you, you understand that one of the things that can happen is a foul ball can come your way. Matter of fact, a lot of people want foul balls to come their way, not to hit them in the head. But, you know, the, so, I mean, I, I guess I'm sitting there thinking, all right, you know, at at some point in time, there is this kind of assumption of the risk. I mean, if you don't want to run the risk that a foul ball is going to come at you, well, okay, sit out, sit out in the bleachers, or or sit in you know the upper decks where the chances of of something really bad is less. I guess I'm I'm sorry this guy lost his eye, his eyesight. I really am, but I don't think it's the Cubs' fault. Yeah, you can't you can't blame the team. I mean, what happens if you're at uh, Wrigley walking down the street and someone hits one out of the park and you get hit? Yeah, I mean, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I right. I think so. I mean, I guess, it, again, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who thinks it would be a good idea to extend netting and raise netting. Okay, I, I'm, I'm there with that. But at the same time, I, I know when I go to a ball game, for example, and I sit in one of these areas, and I like to sit, like I say, I, I like to sit kind of in that home plate area, maybe a little down the first baseline, maybe a little bit down the third baseline. I understand that if I'm in one of those areas, if I'm 15 rows behind the Brewers dugout down the first baseline, I, I recognize that I'm kind of in that, that sort of danger zone, and I understand that there is a chance that a foul ball might come flying, you know, my my way. 414-799-1620. Um, let's talk to, is it, is it Joan in Houstonford? Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good. I heard on GMJ News last night that this gentleman did not have a ticket. And if he did not have a ticket, he was trespassing and has no case. Well, I, I don't, it's, I, <clears throat> my understanding is, that they weren't that somebody had given him the, the ticket. He hadn't bought. The, he hadn't purchased the ticket. My understanding is that he was somebody's guest. That somebody had one of the season ticket holders had lent oh. him had given him a ticket. All right. Um, so. Does not the ticket say that the ticket holder assumes all responsibility for or all liability for being injured? 
Yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah, so it, exactly. Think, yeah, I don't think he has the case. If the ticket says he resumes responsibility, he has to assume responsibility. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's true. Now, now, thanks. Now, you raise an interesting point. I'm looking through the, the bowels of the story in the Chicago Tribune. It says he was sitting in Section 135, overlooking a stretch of the first baseline that extends to the outfield in the game he was injured. An adult friend of his daughter has ties to the Cubs, which allowed them to get into the game without a ticket. Okay, so you're right. You were right, and the report was right. He didn't have he didn't have a ticket. But to me, that that doesn't. You're right. The, the back of the ticket in that really small print, it talks about how you know you 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 again you accept responsibility. But you know it doesn't matter. This quite candidly, even if even if he was there as a guest, you know somebody. Hey, I can get you in. We can put you in one of these vacant seats or whatever that's there. Or we always keep these seats back for friends of employees or whatever. I guess I just don't think that changes the dynamic. I I think. I think that it's a, uh, again, I think it's an assumption of the risk. And I say this, again, as somebody, I keep repeating myself, that's an advocate of extending the nets. David in Beaver Dam. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you doing, Jeff? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay, you have, unfortunately, it sounds like a firsthand experience with something like this. Yeah, we were at a church night in um, Miller Park in August. In a line drive from a twin player, the um, uh, one of their power hitters, Santos, mm-hmm. went into the right field um, beyond third base. Somebody ducked, and the ball hit my wife mm-hmm. in the eye. Right. And even on the TV commentary, had said, "Wow, a hot shot into the stands. Hope everyone's okay." Right. 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 And um, it was a trip to Freighter that night, and. Uh, the emergency room and home about four in the morning afterwards, and she still is having some vision issues yeah. um, from that. Um, it hit her directly in the eye. Sounded yeah. like you threw a baseball against a brick wall yeah. as hard as you could. So quite a hit. Yeah. Um, the Brewers followed up. They asked how she was doing. Someone in the front office and wished us well. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, okay, in, in this case in Chicago, sounds like a very similar sort of situation. You know, the guy's hit, lost sight in the eye, four or five different surgeries. Do you think the Cubs should be legally responsible for that? I think they need to um, do something. When Major League Baseball understands seventeen to 1,800 people a year, in their parks, mm-hmm. um, doing that and do something yeah. to be able to protect fans. Yeah, so you would be in favor of, of you, you think the nets need to be higher? I think the nets need to be higher and um, not expose people to the damage that's being done. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it until after my wife got hit. But um, then discovering this is not an unusual occurrence. A lot of people are being hurt yeah. at major league stadiums. Yeah. Now, most people, my understanding, aren't that right. Eliminates culpability was passed long ago. Right. People sit closer to the field now than in the old stadiums. Players are the speed of the game yep. is faster, and the danger is really is real. Yep. I'm, I'm sorry, you're, uh, David. Your your phone keeps cutting out there. First of all, I'm. 
I, I, I'm very, I mean, I, this one of the reasons I took the call is my, my heart goes out to your wife. This is a terrible sort of thing to have happen. And I agree with you that I think people don't necessarily know how risky this is. Hey, this is great. You know, we've got these great seats. We're on the first level. We're kind of close to the action until that, that foul ball gets on you. Um, and so that's why I agree with you completely when it comes to I, I would extend the netting. I, I, I would. I'd extend it. I'd put it up higher. And I, I'd, I'd extend it further down the, the baselines because um, I, I do think it is a safety issue. And I, but I guess at the same time, even though we agree on that, that's not to me. That's not saying that I think the Brewers are responsible if somebody gets hit by a foul ball, or that the Cubs are responsible if somebody gets hit hit by a, a foul ball. I think you know people need to to pay attention. Dennis and Sullivan. Dennis, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? Uh, well, I, as I told your person there, I uh, in the 70s when the Brewers first came back to Milwaukee, I handled all the planes at County Stadium. Right. I worked for an insurance company, and I'd, after every homestand, I'd go out and look at all the incident uh, right. reports. And People slipping and falling and all that kind of stuff, sure. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And never once in uh, five years that I handled the account did I ever pay for anybody who was hit by a fall ball because of the assumption of risk. Right. The idea being, if you go to a game, you should appreciate that there's a chance that this this ball might come on you, might hit you, and so you've you have assumed the risk by sitting in those seats. Exactly. And, and there were we were sued on a couple of them. And yeah. Nothing ever came of them. Yeah, no, thanks. To God. I, I mean, I think clearly in this lawsuit, they, they've got a, they've got a tough road to hoe, and I, I I will be surprised if there's any sort. I, I'll be surprised if you can win this lawsuit. Um, at the same time, though, I, I do think it's something that Major League Baseball in general has to take a look at. And I understand statistically the chances of somebody getting seriously injured are not that great. Most of the injuries that come from the foul ball is somebody you, you get scraped or you fall over trying to grab it or something. But when you have these injuries, they, they can be horrific, like our, our caller's wife sustained. It is 1028. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, after being warned, an ESPN host criticizes Cowboys owner Jerry Jones' policy on the national anthem and has found herself suspended from the network for her tweet. Imagine that. Does the punishment fit the crime? Scafidi and Billstat debate the sports politics crossover conversation in this country that occurs at 135 today. Check out the show. It's 1038, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620 You know what, uh, Gru, who's producing the show today, I was actually, I have been, I've kind of been off Facebook for a long while, and I was looking at that yesterday thinking, you know, maybe it's time to jump back into that Facebook thing as well, so you can check out the tweet and uh, the, the Twitter stuff, which I've trying to be better at and also um, we're going to get back on facebook relatively soon so you can check that out as well all right i want to i want to open phone lines because i want to talk about what i I just discussed with with jane now in other situations where there has been a a mass shooting event how things have happened it's been different okay let's go back to 1999 columbine um where you had 13 people killed by two student gunmen um, the, the library of the high school was where most of the shooting occurred. Um, what they did is they 
They tore down the library. They replaced it with an atrium, and they built a a new library um, somewhere else. So that's how they handled that. Um, Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut, where 26 people, including 20 children, were killed in 2012, they demolished that. They, they tore Sandy Hook down, and they, they built – so now there's a completely new school. Virginia Tech, where 30 um, – Mass shooting back in 2007. Remember, this is the deal where uh, 32 people were killed in two second-floor classrooms and a hallway of this one building. Actually, 30 of the 32 people were killed. Uh, two others were killed elsewhere. Um, Virginia Tech, what they did is they it's, – it's no longer classrooms. What they did is they completely gutted, remodeled the space, and turned it into laboratories and offices. But they didn't, um, they didn't tear down the, the building. Uh, the Sikh Temple. Um, in Oak Creek, um, well, they, they, they reopened their doors um, pretty quickly um, after you had the gunman who shot and killed six people in 2012. I mean, so that, that there's all sorts of different ways to handle the, these things. So you've got two issues to me. First is, if you're Mandalay Bay, what do you do with the 32nd floor? Now, honestly, I, I guess to me, I don't see how I, – I think you've got to close the 32nd floor. I mean, I don't – you certainly can't re-rent the, this, this room, the murder room. As a matter of fact, then you're going to have all these looky-loos, you know, people who for whatever reason are going to want to go up there. I, I just don't see how moving forward that you can rent any space on that 32nd floor. Now, it's easy for me to say because I'm not the one losing the revenue, but I, I think that's where they go. The other interesting thing, though, is what do you do with what they call Las Vegas Village? Las Vegas Village is what they call the, the it's just it's a blacktop. Um no permanent structures on it at all. It's a rectangle surrounded by I mean bordered by the strip. You know, and it's a very very expensive piece of prime real estate that's been used. There there's no permanent structures. There's a couple tents up there. Um of course, th- this is where the show was, but it's not where the the killer was. Um th- the question becomes you know what? What do you do with this now? Right now, there's no events scale uh, that is currently scheduled at, at Las Vegas Village. The land is owned by MGM, so I mean they could decide what to do. But I think I guess moving forward, right now it, it's used as it's used as a concert venue. It's used as kind of I don't know the, the equivalent of a of a fairgrounds sort of thing. Um, what do you do moving forward? Is it appropriate to continue to use it as as an outdoor venue for concerts, or do you close it down? I mean, it's a vacant it's a vacant area right now, so there's nothing to demolish. What do you do? How do you balance the fact that this is prime real estate in Las Vegas with the idea that you want to be respectful? to the the victims of this tragedy. 414-799-1620. If if it's me, I close that 32nd floor at the Mandalay Bay. I I, I just, I I do. And that's probably a tough economic pill to swallow, but I do. The Las Vegas Boulevard thing, if it's me, I don't stop, I don't necessarily stop using Las Vegas Village as, as a venue. I put perhaps a memorial in you know one section of this 15 acre thing i build a permanent memorial but i don't stop using it that's me is that disrespectful 414-799-1620 what do you do 
with these spaces, particularly the 15 acres that is known as Las Vegas Village. Let's start with Lucas in Milwaukee. Lucas, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, So I'm uh, with you on that. You know, I was a public relations student at Marquette, and, you know, we would talk about situations like this a lot. And I think in regards to the 32nd floor, if they keep it open, you're going to have, like, those Lutheans coming in. And Mandalay Bay is just going to continue to look like they're making profit on a tragedy. Yeah. Now, for the space in the village, I think it goes a lot with, you know, like 9-11, yes, we made a memorial, but we rebuilt and it's still one of the main premises for financial institutions. The Boston bombing, you know, we, it was a tragedy, but they still kept, they still have the same race and the same marathon at the right. same area in Boston. So I think, you know, you still use the village for joyous occasions and happy times where people can go and have fun because if you stop using it, then you're just letting Right. people who do these sort of things to win. Right, and would you agree with me that you carve... It's okay, it's, it's essentially a 15-acre blacktop sort of thing. Would you agree with me that you carve out a, a, a space somewhere and, and you turn it into like a permanent memorial or, or something like that? Sure. Yeah. Sure, I mean, look at Miller Park. They do that at the entrance after uh, Big Blue came down and killed a number of the right. construction workers. They did the same thing there. Right. Would you hesitate to go to a show there? I mean, let, let's say you're in Las Vegas and there's a performer you really want to see. W- would you go to a show there? Um, <laughs> I think uh, after a little bit of time, sure. I think for maybe the first year or so, I think yeah. it's a little bit, not necessarily that I'd be scared to go, but just more or less that I think it's just a little bit that, too soon. you know, it's, kind of like a grave spot for right now in a sense that, you know, tragedy happened. So I think any time soon to have a concert there would just be a little, I don't know, uh, irreverent. Got it. No, And and my understanding is right now there's nothing, there's nothing scheduled there, at least for the foreseeable future. So the problem, and and it's being treated as a crime scene, of course, but but it's not like, hey, you've got a, a big, you know, music event coming up this weekend or something like that that they have to worry about relocating. No, I I mean I don't I, I don't think you can close down the space and I don't think it's disrespectful if you continue to use it as essentially a fairgrounds, which is kind of what they do. I mean I, I think again you you put an appropriate memorial and I don't know what that would look like, you know, recognizing the victims and then you move on. Now that thirty second floor I think is a little bit different story. Terry in Milwaukee. Terry you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I agree with you. Um, I believe the 32nd floor should probably be um, used for in the future for maybe uh, if they have mechanical updates or something, they can use that. Um, As far as the village, I believe they should um, actually build, um, continue to use it exactly what it's being used Mm -hmm. for um, and maybe build some type of a band shell or a stage. And within the stage, um, the bricks could have names Mm -hmm. on them and people could... uh, donate money and uh, have names of the victims. Yeah, some, um, some form of memorial, whatever that would look like, sure. Absolutely, whatever that would look like. And um, I don't think um, I would uh, stop going there at all. Uh, if they had something there, you know, uh, this is just my opinion. I think if there was something there tonight, I would go. Um, and that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people might not want to hear that, but that's, mm. just, that's just a show of uh, support and unity to me. Saying, "Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let this." Right. Yeah. I mean, right. And it's, I mean, thanks. See, it's to me one of the things that makes it more interesting, or at least perhaps more difficult call is, 
um, that, that this is it, it's not a building. It's just kind of it's an open air. It's a space. It's a it's a, essentially it's a, it's a vacant lot. Is what this really is. I mean, it's it's a vacant lot that they you know convert into a fairgrounds or they set up with these stages when they have these particular events. So it's not like. Okay, this is Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment building. All right, you, you know, so you, I mean, yeah, I understand tearing down Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment building. I, I mean, I, I understand, you know, tearing down, you know, Sandy Hook because those those are buildings. This is this is an exterior space, and candidly, I, I think the way to go with this is a memorial. Thirty second floor is, is different, um, and I, I mean, I understand, and that's why when I was talking to Jane, I brought up the whole subject of, you know, the, the Texas book depository, book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, shot President Kennedy, and that's been turned, that's been turned into a a museum. And if, by the way, if you ever have a chance to go to Dallas, spend an afternoon there, spend a day there. We we were there, um, Evan and I were there over Super Bowl weekend, and my my big regret is we spent a couple hours, but it was so crowded that I really didn't get a chance to immerse myself in the history of it. And it's not just the macabre thing where you can see the window where, where Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, shot President Kennedy from, but it's, I mean, they've got it. It's a, you know, you, you can trace the whole history of the Kennedy administration, and then there's all these places you can go and you can see the aftermath and what happened with Jack Ruby and all. It is a fascinating piece of American history, and if you're into history, I highly recommend you doing it and they've done this in a in, in a very sort of it, it's very tasteful um to the extent that you're and it, it's not honoring something this this horrible tragedy it's very tasteful and it's an important piece i think of american history and understanding what happened in 1963 that's different than saying here get the hotel room next to where the shooter you know set up camp it is 1049 this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Most people admit that they try to live within their means, but a new survey shows that the Milwaukee area is one of the nation's top spots for doing just that. Why is that the case? Get the answer today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 434. So, Gru, who's producing the show, would you um, would you stay on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay? N- not the room. You wouldn't stay in the room, but uh, you'd stay on the floor. Okay, yeah, I think they should close down the floor. I just think, because what would inevitably happen, let, let's face it, if people are up on that floor, everybody's going to be wandering into that room. That, that's that's what they're going to want to see. I just, um, it, it's just, I, I just, I, I think that's one out of respect that you kind of, again, close down that floor and use it for internal storage or whatever. All right, I'm sorry, I do not believe what is coming out of Hollywood. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, and if you don't follow the entertainment industry, maybe you don't know who this guy was, but he was the, the head of Miramax. He has been a huge mover and shaker in Hollywood for the last couple decades. He is responsible for a lot of the, the big-name movies. Um, he, he's the guy that you know, gave Ben Affleck and Matt Damon their, their start. Judy Dench has won Oscars. Meryl Streep has done stuff. Kate Winslet. I mean, all these. I mean, he. If if you want to look at like somebody who's really been a mogul in Hollywood for the last several decades, it's been him. It now turns out that he is also a serial sexual harasser. Uh, the New York Times ran a story over the weekend that, that has woman after woman talking about how, you know, the guy, he'd invite him over, you know, here, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, working in a movie. Here, come up to my hotel room. Here, I want to take a shower and watch you, you know, I want you to watch me while I take a shower, which is something, by the way, 
which is just very, very bizarre. You know, I'm going to be the first to tell you, me naked, not a pretty sight. You know, why you would think that, hey, I'm going to invite this, you know, this this actress up, and I'm going to have her come up to the room, and then I want to, I don't know, haul my chunky butt into a shower, and it somehow it's going to turn her on to watch me take a shower. I, You know, but, but these, these guys, it's not really about the sex. It's about the power. I, I get all that. But, okay, so now... New York Times blows the whistle on this. You've got all these women that are out there. Turns out that the company paid these various settlements to make these things go away. But this this was just all the entertainment reporters you have in Hollywood. This story just didn't get written about. New York Times apparently had it about a decade ago. Reporter wrote the story, and the New York Times, for whatever reasons, decided not to run with this. So now you have half the actors in Hollywood who are beholden to Weinstein they're not saying anything. They're, they're not saying anything. Well, you know, if this had been a conservative mogul who had done the same thing, you know the outrage that would be incredible. Then you've got all these females that are out there. I, I'm looking at this right. Meryl Streep, you know, Judy Dench. They're all saying, well, we, we don't, you know, we, we're just shocked. We're, we're just absolutely shocked. We had no idea that he was doing this. Kate Winslet, who, who won an Oscar for the, the Reader and had worked with Miramax before, she said, well, the truth is, I heard the stories. Everybody, and she's kind of the implications, everybody heard the stories. I had hoped these kind of stories were just made-up rumors. Maybe we have all been naive. Now, I mean, here, here's exactly what happens. When you have this liberal icon who hosts the fundraisers for Barack Obama and for Hillary Clinton and who, you know, gives all the money to Planned Parenthood and does all this stuff. Well, then there's this idea that here, you know, we hear all these rumors about the way he's treating all these women. And, gee, isn't it interesting that we heard these rumors that there's these different settlements. But because he's this liberal icon, they look the other way. That is just the double standard. And I will tell you this. You will never, ever, ever, ever convince me that all these liberal actors and actresses are now shocked that, that this guy turns out to be a complete and total pig. My guess is everybody knew or should have known and just kind of looked the other way because, well, he, he's one of us. And now that the story breaks, the New York Times runs it because the New Yorker was getting ready to go with this. Now that the story breaks, everybody says, well, we're, we're just stunned. We're stunned to find that gambling is going on. You will never, ever convince me that a lot of people either didn't know or should not, or willfully turned a blind eye, which might be the more appropriate thing. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in five minutes, is it time for free college for everybody? Stick around. It's 1059. It's 1108. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Bernie is back. Uh, it, I, I'm just going to give you a preview of the the 2018 elections and the 2020 elections. The, the Democratic Party has taken a hard, hard, hard turn towards the left. Um, people on the left, if, if it is even possible. I mean, I think if you if if you you hear a lot of this, and it's the Republicans. Oh boy, the, the Republicans are all conservative, and and it's true that the Republican Party has gotten a lot more conservative over the years. That is true. 
but at the same time, let's lose lot. Let's not lose sight of the fact that the Democratic Party has gotten much more liberal. I mean, you look at you look at the Democratic Party in the state of Wisconsin, and I understand that there's people trying to come up with excuses. Oh, it's the way the districts are drawn. Why Democrats lose elections? No, it's because there aren't moderate Democrats anymore. There, there aren't there there aren't. There's not room in the modern Democratic Party nowadays in Wisconsin or nationwide for somebody who might be, heaven forbid, a pro-life Democrat. There's not room for them. And what's happened is, in the era of Trump, more and more people on the left feel more emboldened. And that's why I was driving around the other day and I saw that the, you know, the somebody with this bumper sticker resistance. The idea being, we have to fight everything. Let's push us further and further to the left. Now, whether that becomes a winning electoral strategy or not, you know, we'll... We'll see. I continue to believe that this is still a center-right, you know, company, a country. But you know, time, I guess, will tell. But in any event, two of the big issues that are going to play out over the next couple years, like I say, November of 2018 and then November of 2020, are, are issues that have been just Democrat dreams, at least far-left dreams for years and years. One is single-payer. And we, we've talked about that in the past. This idea, Medicare for all. Let us do away with the private insurance industry. Let us do away with people getting their insurance through their employers. Let's have one massive health insurance a- a- operation where it is the government that decides what gets covered, what doesn't get covered, who gets paid, um, how much they get paid. And again, it's like Medicare for all. And the argument is, hey, if Medicare works for people over 65, it should work for people who are 25. This gets us universal coverage. And the fact that, okay, you're going to have to pay now 25 or 30% of your salary towards this, well, it's a good idea. That's what they will argue. So one is single payer. That will be a huge issue, again, in the 2020 presidential elections and in the upcoming congressional elections in 2018. And a number of the Democrats who are already talking about running for president, the, the Cory Bookers, the Elizabeth Warrens, the far left wing of the party, they're all out there and they're going to run on single payer, to which I say, great. Tammy Baldwin, who's up for re-election in 2018, being challenged by a number of Republicans, she's already said, I'm all in and single on single payer. And I think this is great. If I were giving advice to... Leah Vukmir or Kevin Nicholson or anybody else that might emerge to run as a Republican for Senate, my advice would be, great, make this a referendum on single payer. Now, what you have to do is you have to educate people on what, at least in my opinion, a disaster that single payer would be. But this is a wedge issue. Make this the the race, because I think ultimately it is a winning issue for free market people. But So that's one issue, single payer. The other issue is something that Hillary Clinton talked a little bit about, but Bernie Sanders pushed hard, and that is free public college tuition. Sanders, Sanders is back. Matter of fact, he had a um, he had a town hall, another one of these sort of town hall meetings um, late last week, and um, you know he was touting about how you know again he thinks that what we should do. Are the way we eliminate student debt is we essentially make college free for almost everybody. Here's his plan. Public colleges and universities across the country would be tuition free 
for any family. The legislation would eliminate tuition and fees at four-year and two-year public colleges and universities for families making up to $125,000. So if you make more than $125,000, you're, you're screwed. But if you make $125,000 or less, tuition is free. And that would cover about 80% of the population. Community college is tuition-free for everybody. So if you want to go to a community college, that's free. There's no charge. Just go. If you want to go to University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, you want to go to UW-Madison, and you make less than 120, your family makes less than 125 grand, um, it's free. You, you get the, the free ride. Um, his act, College for All, would also reduce student loan debt for students and parents um, that now exceed Americans' credit card debt. The bill would cut all student loan interest rates for new borrowers in half, and it would enable existing borrowers to refinance their loans based on interest rates available to new borrowers. So if you've got, you're paying a little bit more interest, don't worry about that. We're going to cut this down. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, 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 why, why are you objecting to this? What is the concern about it? Free education isn't that great. I mean, we already provide free public education through high school. Why don't we provide free public education at all public universities through college? Well, okay, there's, there's many reasons, but the cost of this, $600 billion. $600 billion to implement this. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, would this, is this the answer? Do we now say, okay, we, we educate people, you can get, you can stay through high school, you don't have to pay, you get free public education. Now it is time to essentially say to our colleges, to our universities, um, anybody whose family makes less than 125 grand, you also have free tuition. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and of course, again, nothing is free. Everybody's going to have to pay for it because you're going to have to raise people's taxes six hundred b as in billion dollars to pay for this. But is it a good idea? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What about this idea? I mean, if if your family makes one hundred twenty five grand a, a year, I mean, is it that unreasonable? Or a hundred grand a year? I mean, is it that unreasonable to expect? I don't know, you to pay for your kids' college education? All right, 414-799-1620. We discuss. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1118. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. This is Bernie Sanders, but this is going to be the issue. I tr- Trust me. This is going to be trumped up, no pun intended, over the course of the next couple years, free college tuition for almost everybody. The Bernie Sanders proposal is... Anybody whose family makes 125 grand or less free tuition, a free ride at any public university, anybody who wants to go to a two-year university should be able to go there for free. Now, free is relative because it's going to cost $600 billion, which means taxes are going to have to be raised on lots of people to pay for that. But all right, we pay for high school. I mean, should we pay for college as well? Let's start with Warren in Bristol. Warren, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. This just makes my head explode. It really does. So now the people that, the families that make over $125,000, 
am I assuming then that they're not going to have to pay any of that eight six hundred billion dollar tax if they're not going to reap the benefit and have free tuition? Um, no, actually, I think it's probably the opposite, Warren. My guess is that you know his tax proposals again. It's it's tax the idle rich. So my guess is they're going to not only not be able to get the benefit, but they're essentially going to be largely paying for the, this this idea. Well, Jeff, that doesn't make any sense. The Democratic Party is the party of fair, aren't they? <laughs> well, not it's not fair if you but but if you if you make a hundred thousand dollars and you're a working class family, why should you be expected to um, you know pay for your college your your kid to go to college or heaven forbid? Why should the kid be expected to maybe do what a lot of people do, which is work their way through college or save money or or all those type of things? I mean, that's I mean, right. Where, where is where is the fairness in that, Warren? Yeah, I know. That's what I did. I worked my way through college. I didn't get a dime from anybody. So right, and and my guess is you probably appreciated it more. I mean, what what do you think it's going to do, for example, to the dropout rate? If if all of a sudden you can say, okay, you get to go to school for free. Here, go go kind of hang out, you know, find yourself for a couple years. Well, if you're not doing well or you decide that this this isn't what I want, here, let, let's just change majors or let's go let's go do something different. Meanwhile, you've got the taxpayers that are picking up the tab for this. Exactly. I think the dropout rate is probably going to be a little bit less significant of an issue as the people that are just changing, you know, majors right. every and and become career Students. Well, that's Why right. Not become a career student if well, you get it for free. Well, right, Warren. I guess. I mean, look. I, I went to law school, so I mean, I guess the question is, if we now decided that four year, you know, a free ride to a four year university is in order for everybody, why, why draw it off there? I mean, should we be talking about free medical school and free law school and free pharmacy school or whatever? I mean, should the taxpayers now just pick up the tab for anybody for as far as they want to go? Why? Why cut it off at undergraduate? Why not go to master's? Why not go to juris doctorates? Why not go to medical degrees? Yeah, yep. th- thanks for the call. No, this is, but this is the future that is playing out. And again, a price tag of six hundred B, as in billion dollars. Beth in Hales Corners. Beth, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. So my kids go to pri- private school, and they get tuition assistance based on our income. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to actually work at the school for even it's just a day you go and you right. clean you get things ready but it helps you appreciate a little bit more what goes into running a school and you know why we're getting that tuition assistance and it's like i think about it why wouldn't they do something like that with colleges instead of doing loans say all right your parents make combined eighty thousand dollars a year you have x amount of siblings your tuition is going to be based on that and you know, as part of the financial aid process, then you also have to work in the school, even if it's just a couple days a week, just, mm-hmm. you know, pay back the school in, in work. And I just don't understand why it has to be free. It, it, it shouldn't have to be free. You should be paying for something. You should be investing in that. Mm-hmm. That's like investing in yourself. So why, why should it be free? Well, right. Also, I mean, you, you say your, your kids are in private school now, Beth? Yes. And, and I'm sure you make sacrifices to send them oh, to private school, right? Sure. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. I, I mean, I guess my question too is, if you do this, what is this going to do to private schools? I mean, seriously, if you now say you can go to UW Madison or, or UWM, you can go for for free. I mean, at some point in time, it, it seems to me at the very least, this is just going to cause tuition at private schools to to rocket up. 
because a, a lot of a, a lot of people are going to say, well, I'd rather send my kid to Marquette than Madison. And it already costs more to send him to Marquette and Madison. But if I can send my kid to Madison for free, forget it. Well, why, why bother sending him to Marquette? I mean, I... This is going to, I think, kill attendance at private at private schools, which might be what people like Bernie Sanders wants. Well, and I think it's also going to kill the you know graduation rates and everything else. Like the previous caller was saying, I don't think kids are going to graduate quite as quickly because they're like, well, it's for free. I can sit here and go as long as I want to and you know find myself or whatever it is. Well, well, right. I mean, plus there, there's no incentive to to succeed. You know, I mean, there's no pressure. It's like, okay, so I'm I'm not doing very well because I. I spent you know, the whole fall semester, you know, partying or whatever. Oh, it's it's no problem because, well, there's always the next semester and there's always the next semester after that. I mean, if you've got no skin in the game, what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah. no, it's important to have part of it. Right. Now, yeah. thanks for the call. Now, again, I, I think, I mean, I think that there are, I think that the sp- skyrocketing cost of college tuition and the massive amounts of student debt, I think, are legitimate issues that we need to talk about. You know, and I blame a lot of the colleges for this because, you know, the, the colleges were just able to, able to just jack up their fees and tuition, you know, year after year after year after year. And then people just borrowed more and more money to, to cover this. So it ended up being in this vicious cycle. So, I mean, I, I do think that the, the, the amounts of student debt are, are very, very great. I mean, I, I look at, Law school students now, believe me, I'm glad I'm not getting out of law school now because now the, the job market for lawyers is probably as bad as it's ever been any time in my lifetime. You've got these people that are coming out of, of law school into a brutal, brutal job market, and they're coming out with a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in debt. And, I mean, I, I wonder, are they ever going to be able to dig out from that? So, I mean, that's a legitimate issue, um, but but that doesn't mean – that we necessarily say, okay, the answer is giving a freebie to everyone. It's 1125. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. But that will be the issue over the next couple years. It's 1128. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here's Peter in Port Washington, our text line. Jeff, what's wrong with free, free, free everything? Free health care, free tuition. What's not to like about this country? Have we become that lazy and dependent on the government? Yes. I had to work my way through college, work for everything I own. God help us. Well, I don't know. That's where we're going. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, um, just send out a new tweet. You can follow me. It's Jeff Wagner 620. The, I, I've been, I admit, I'm, I'm fascinated by this Harvey Weinstein story. This is the liberal icon, the guy who had the fundraisers for Michelle, for the Obamas and for Hillary Clinton. This is this guy, this Hollywood mogul. He's a pig and, and he's been a, a sec, a serial sexual harasser for decades. And it was swept under the it was swept under the carpet, in my opinion, because number one, he's a powerful guy, and people were scared of him. But number two, because he's the liberal icon. This is oh well, Harvey goes to all the right events, and he gives money to Planned Parenthood, and he supports the battered women thing, and all these. And so we're going to look the other way. Now, the New York Times had a story the other day. Somebody actually had sent me a text saying, "Well, if the New York Times is such a liberal thing, why why did they go after Harvey Weinstein?" Well. Part of it is they did it to sell papers, but also they knew that the New Yorker was about ready to come out with a piece that names names. Um, they've got 13, I believe it's 13 different women who talk about how for decades, they, including some prominent actresses, they were harassed by Weinstein and nobody did anything. When they went to complain about it, 
It cost them jobs. They no longer were able to get hired by these things. This whole thing was swept under the rug for decades. That new that New Yorker magazine piece is out. I've got a link to it. Um, just sent out a tweet. Again, it's Jeff Wagner 620. Um, if he wasn't a liberal icon, does anybody think Weinstein would have been able to get away with this for 30 years? And um, I, I've got a link to the New Yorker story. From aggressive overtures to sexual assault. Um, you can check that out. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, this is just, it's just the hypocrisy of the media and the particularly the Hollywood left that's being exposed by this Harvey Weinstein story. And again, I I know a lot of people don't follow the entertainment industry. Who's Harvey Weinstein? He is this big movie mogul. Perhaps there's been no movie mogul bigger than him in the last 30 years. And, and he's, he's just a pig. I just, again, I texted out the link to the, I just, uh, on Twitter, I tweeted out the link to the New Yorker story. There, there's, there's some people in there, including some very prominent actresses whose names you will recognize, who are essentially saying the guy raped us. Um, he, he, he committed rape, you know, and then what would happen? He was a threat in us. We, we'd have to keep silent because you had this entire Hollywood culture that kind of, you know, bounded around and they decided, okay, well, we're not going after Harvey because he's one of us. You know, he's powerful. He's this liberal icon. He gives money to all these different liberal causes. And, and okay, so he's a serial rapist. Well, we're going to look the other way. It's, it's the hypocrisy of this is stunning because you will never, like I said, ever convince me that a lot of these Hollywood lefties who are so appalled at this or that or the other thing did not know. And it's coming out. They said, oh, there are the rumors that you don't want to be alone with this guy. But, you know, he, he promised me a contract, so I went up to the room. Huh. All right. Let us switch gears when it comes to the president i guess the question becomes is enough enough and is his temperament or problems with his temperament is it getting in the way of his agenda let me share with you a portion of a story that appears in today's washington post and again this is on the heels of the the ongoing you know wedding match between the president and uh, now retiring Senator Bob Corker out of Tennessee, who, by the way, was one of the earliest supporters of President Trump. Well, they've had a massive falling out. But, of course, this comes on the heels of, you know, Jeff Sessions, former senator from Alabama, now attorney general. He was one of Trump's earliest supporters. And, of course, now they're, they've had the falling out as well. Okay, here's the way the Washington Post story starts. Frustrated by his cabinet and angry that he has not received enough credit for his handling of three successive hurricanes, President Trump is now lashing out, rupturing alliances, and imperiling his legislative agenda, numerous White House officials and outside advisors said Monday. In a matter of days, Trump has torched bridges all around him, nearly imploded an informal deal with Democrats to protect young undocumented immigrants brought to this country as children, and plunged himself into the culture wars on issues ranging from birth birth control to the national anthem. In doing so, Trump is laboring to solidify his standings with his populist base and return to the comforts of his campaign, especially after the embarrassing defeat of Senator Luther Strange in last month's Alabama GOP special election, despite the president's trip there to campaign with him. Senator Bob Corker's brutal assessment of Trump's fitness for office warning that the president's reckless behavior could launch the nation on the path to World War III, also hit like a thunderclap inside the White House, 
where aides feared possible ripple effects among other Republicans on Capitol Hill. After a caustic volley of Twitter insults between Trump and Corker, a Tennessee Republican who chairs the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, few GOP leaders came to the president's defense Monday, though few sided openly with Corker. Trump in recent days has shown flashes of fury and left his aides, including White House Chief of Staff John F. Kelly, scrambling to manage his outbursts. Um, He has been frustrated in particular with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who was reported last week to have earlier called the president a moron. Trump's Sunday morning Twitter tirade against Corker caught staffers by surprise, although the president had been brooding over the senator's comment a few days earlier about Trump's chaos endangering the nation. One Trump confidant likened the president to a whistling teapot, saying that when he does not blow off steam, he can turn into a pressure cooker and explode. I think we are in pressure cooker territory, said this portion. The portrait of a president increasingly isolated in Washington is based on interviews with 18 White House officials, outside advisors, and other Trump associates. And then it goes on, but you get the idea. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is the president's temperament troubling? Is the, and, and there's no question that this is the president who has, he, he has decided to immerse himself. I candidly believe the whole national anthem thing, which I think he is right on, I think that was dying down until he decided to jump into this at, at this rally he was engaging in. He has decided to, on a regular basis, you know, go after powerful Republicans like a guy like Bob Corker, who include, was one of his supporters and who is somebody, even though he's not running for re-election, he's going to be around for the next 12, 13, 14, 15 months. And you've got 52 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. You can't, I mean, you know, you just go out alienating one after another. And, and pretty soon, well, I don't know, a, a leader who gets too far ahead of the people he's leading just ends up being a guy wandering around in the in the wilderness. Okay, 414-799-1620. Is the Trump temperament, is it endearing to his supporters, or is this getting to a point where it's hurting his agenda and hurting the country? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. It's 1141. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. My answer, yeah, yeah, it is. And I think this Twitter stuff, I think the thin-skinned, the lashing out, the lack of focus. I mean, I think it is seriously damaging his presidency. 414-799-1620. It's 1141. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1144. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I think everybody knew. That, look, I, I continue to believe if you reran the November election, Hillary Clinton would still lose. People just did not like Hillary Clinton. At the same time, I think a lot of us who had hopes for President Trump, who were put off by a lot of the the personal characteristics and the name-calling and the bullying, a lot of us hoped that having won, that stuff would kind of go away and he would become more presidential, I guess would would be the, the phrase that I would use. Now, the naivety of that is that, I don't know, when you're 70-some years old, you pretty much are what you you are. And we're starting to see that, I think, as President Trump gets frustrated with the fact that 
you know, your president. And that's an incredibly powerful position. But still, you got to work with Congress. You are not the king. But interestingly enough, and I agree with a lot of this Washington Post piece, you know, it's not just I get the sense that the president is like this cannon rolling across the deck of a ship, just blowing off, going off, you know, and sometimes sometimes the cannon's pointing at North Korea. Sometimes it's pointing at the Democratic Party. Sometimes it's pointing, I don't know, at the NFL. Sometimes it's pointing at the Republicans. And sometimes it's pointing at his own feet. And he just can't help himself. And I continue to believe that this is getting in the way of his presidency, maybe to the point that it is going to doom this. And I don't know how this is going to turn itself around. Let's start with Rich in Oshkosh. Rich, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Chef. Good talking to you. What do you think? Yeah, I have to go along a little bit with that, too. I just I didn't vote for Mr. Trump uh, from the very beginning. I, I listened to him, and I said, this guy is a promoter. He's a PR man. He mm-hmm. has no managerial experience to be with, and he has no no scope, no idea of the scope of what he's dealing with as the leader of the free world, if you really want to put it on a large enough scale. And I, I think that I, I really feel sorry for him because I think I think he's in a position whereby he, he just needs that constant reinforcement. Like, I'm doing a great job, and people mm-hmm. love me, and isn't it well, and it's all And it's it? also the thin skin stuff. I mean, that, yeah. that's, and that, that, that's what he, he won. And this, this need to, I don't know, some obscure actress or columnist or some late-night person decides that, you know, they're, they're going to say something about it, and, and this inability to just kind of let it go. Like you say, he's yeah. the leader of the free world. But but you've got to lash out and you've got to respond and you've got to have the last word about everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you, you get drawn into this morass. He's a he's a kid from the Queens in New York City, and by God, nobody's going to get ahead of him. And that's and, and that's really sad because it's not the it, it just he, it, it's creating an enormous one from the tweet the tweeting for example or yep. tweeting. Uh, the fact is, stop it entirely. Don't Twitter at all. Because he just feeds the fire, right. and he can't seem to understand that. And I, I keep, I keep looking at, and I say that's what brings out this, this empathy for him. Saying, "My God, Donald, stop doing all this. Listen to your advisors. Do what they tell you. They're knowledgeable, disciplined, you know, good men who will tell you where to steer it." But it's just no. I've just got to do this because it, it suits me. Right. It, it's and, no impulse control. No. Thanks to the call, Rich. I mean that that's that's the thing. Now I understand for hardcore Trump supporters, they they love it. Yeah. You know, you tell them off. You know, and 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 there is a value to that. And I'm not saying that you need to be be pushed around. And, and I do think, and I've said this before. I think more than any president, certainly in my lifetime, and that includes other Republican presidents. There has been this this effort to demean and to minimize him launched in an organized fashion by the, the mainstream media. And I understand the desire and the want to punch back. OK, I, I get that. But but the, the 3 a.m. tweets and at some point in time, you, you begin to wonder, all right, I've got 52 Republican U.S. senators and I'm probably not going to get a lot of support from the Democrats. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attack John McCain. And I understand John McCain's kind of a loose cannon. I, I'm going to go after Bob Corker. I'm going to go after Mitch McConnell. All right. How how does that help you? advance your agenda and the answer is it, it just doesn't i can't imagine what it's like i haven't talked to reince Priebus since he stepped down as a chief of staff but I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in one of these environments where on, on any given day you know again it's, it's the whistling teapot i love that analogy you don't understand where where that what's going to cause that teapot to go off 
and you're not able to figure out how to make it stop. And you come in and you say, okay, today is going to be the day we talk about tax reform. Okay, this is this is the day, and we're going to be on message. We're going to come out, and we're going to we're going to deal all with, with tax reform. And then you find out, you know, in in the middle of the night, you've got the president who's decided to. Um, well, okay, the latest thing. The latest thing is the tweets today. Uh, the Twitter post today is President Trump saying that the National Football League should not be given tax breaks. Why is the NFL getting massive tax breaks while at the same time disrespecting our anthem, flag, and country? Change the tax law. Okay, that's the Twitter post. Now, nobody is quite sure what, what tax breaks he's referring to because two years ago the NFL gave up its federal tax-exempt status. So, I mean, nobody knows exactly what he's doing. Um, states and localities offer um, the NFL tax breaks in order to attract teams and to finance stadiums, but nobody knows what exactly he's talking about, and I'm not sure he necessarily does here either. But regardless, I mean, you, you've just – this is this sidelight issue, okay? I care about health care. I care about tax reform. I care about, you know, what we're going to do with North Korea. There's all these different issues. And, you know, you've got the president who gets, you know, a burr under his saddle or a buck, uh, you know, a, a um, you know, a bug up a certain, you know, part of his anatomy. And then he decides he's got to lash out in this fashion. And again, I don't care if you're a Trump supporter. I, if you're a Trump supporter, you should be concerned by this because it gets in the way of the uh, agenda. And if you're not a Trump supporter, this type of stuff just fuels the fire that the guy is erratic. I mean, and that's that is what the frustrating thing is. And this story, and again, I I tend to discount a lot of stuff that I see in the Washington Post and the New York Times because they've got an agenda and they're all about advancing the agenda. I, I get it, but I, I'm you're starting to see this. And I mean, a pressure cooker, Trump's frustration and fury ruptures alliance and threatens the agenda. Yes, yeah, see, that's that's what I think that the key is. It threatens the agenda, and you know that's that's something that I think a lot of us who have worked toiled in the fields very hard for years to see you know a conservative majority, and then you, you kind of see this slipping away because again the president isn't isn't able to control himself. In the fashion, that, and again, look, and I also understand, I'm going to get emails on this. There's a segment of people who say, oh, how dare you criticize the president? Go work for MSNBC. Well, okay, no, I, I'm somebody who wants to see the conservative agenda advance. And the truth is, when when you go off on these the, these sort of like Twitter tirades, and by the way, I think he's right about the, the, the protests with the NFL players, but at the same time, haven't we moved on for that? And from that, now we're, you know, now we're back saying, look at their tax breaks or... Or whatever, and that's where the trouble is. Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I kind of was going back to as I was listening to you and your callers, and I obviously come from a different political perspective than you. But what everybody was saying is, I don't get it. He's not achieving his ends. He's alienating McConnell, McCain, Corker. Everybody. You name it. Yeah. Yeah, he's alienating everybody. So for me sitting somewhere more left of you, I'm kind of liking it. <laughs> sure. He, he, when you look at George Will's characterization of his abilities to communicate and round up support, he's kind of 
the left's dream right now. Honestly, you have, you guys own the Senate, yeah. the House, Supreme Court, effectively. You guys should be getting every single one done. Right, and nothing's getting done, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's the this, this stuff that is getting in the way of the, the agenda, and I think it's only going to get worse, Matt, unless it changes, and I, I don't see it changing. No, everybody's reporting that this is turning into a pressure cooker, and his skin, his skin seems, seems a little thin. You think? I mean, just ignore it. Who cares what Alec Baldwin says on Saturday Night Live, for goodness sakes? Who cares about this stuff? Who cares about what some, you know, B-grade movie actress has to say? Just let well, it you go. Know, they don't know that, Jeff. They, they know that sure. they can needle him and get a reaction yep. out of him. Exactly. Everyone knows it. Everybody knows that they can get a reaction out of the most powerful man in the United States. I, I, yeah, no, it is. Now, thanks. I, I don't, and I, again, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Now, and look, I understand that there's all sorts of advantages. You can use social media, right? You can, you can go above, you can go around the mainstream media, you can communicate with your audience, you can advance your agenda. And, and I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't do that, that you should allow your remarks to be filtered by the New York Times or the Washington Post of the world. I'm not arguing that, but at the same time, Really? Okay, these 3 a.m. tweets are picking, uh, getting involved in a you-know-wedding match between, um, you know, yourself and a retiring Republican senator whose vote you're going to need for the next 15 months? Just don't get it. Uh, Scafidi and Bill Statter are next. Stick around. It's 1155.